Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher. Joining me, as always, is the true artist of the podcast, Lydia. Oh, well, you know what? I thought you'd say something about my portrait. (laughs) 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 Something about uh, a picture being worth a thousand words, but this woman has more than a thousand words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, that would have been so much better. (laughs) Well, hi, Christopher. (laughs) Oh, hello. No, I'll admit it. This is one of those ones where I'm like, I'm I'm kind of stumped for the pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I should have asked you. So how do you want me to introduce you this time, Lydia? Her mother says she's autistic, but we think she's artistic. It's Lydia. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that one might, even might have been a stretch for me. But anyway, <laughs> I wanted to mention something that came up in between uh, our recordings. Orphan Entertainment was included in Welp Magazine's Best Entertainment Podcasts of 2021. I found that to be pretty (laughs) exciting. I kind of came out as a surprise. I had no idea. Certainly appreciate being put on their list. Um, I'm glad they're listening. (laughs) I'm glad they (laughs) like the show. And uh, we were in good company on that list. So I I felt really, uh, really proud of that. Well, before we go any further, though, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in, and we also really appreciate that. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, anywhere where you get podcasts you can find us. And please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. Speaking of which, another great way to help the show is just by sharing it on whatever social media platform you use. For instance, if you're a Facebook user, there's a group you can join, and this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next and an easy place to leave any comment on the films or episodes, and you'll see when the episodes post, and it makes it very easily shared. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Orphan Entertainment, and there you can watch many of the films we have covered here on the podcast. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. All these links can be found on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com. On our last episode, we did premiere our our unique, our, our created uh, five-minute mystery. And uh, I mentioned that we had another submission that we need to get cracking on. And when I did so, the uh, author of that particular, I gave the name Christine. That is not her name. Oh. <laughs> I, I should have just stuck with Chris, and I do apologize. I apologized on Facebook uh, for getting her name incorrect. I will make sure I know how she wants to be credited. <laughs> we in finally... future. <laughs> yes, we'll in start the... asking. <laughs> exactly. So my apologies for getting your name wrong, Chris. I will uh, keep it simple maybe from now on. <laughs> so now let's listen to one of the old 5-Minute Mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, Liddy and I will take a stroll down 1945 Scarlet Street. Another five-minute mystery.
In a plantation house, set in the gloom of moss-covered trees, a woman lies dead. In a nearby room, Inspector James is talking to Amelia Lamb, half-sister of the dead woman. Listen. Sorry to trouble you, Miss Lamb, but in cases of suicide, we always ask a few routine questions. I understand, Inspector. Whatever I can do. But whether you believe me or not, he killed her. You mean Jonathan Ford? But he's been dead five years. So unless you mean his ghost has been... Whatever you call it, Inspector. His ghost, his memory, it makes no difference. The fact remains, he drove Henrietta to take poison. Well, uh, suppose you tell me about it, Miss Lamb. Jonathan was our third cousin, and he lived here with us, helping to manage the plantation. Yes, I, uh, I met him once, I remember. He hated Henrietta. Finally, it got so he couldn't even be civil to her. One night, he came in the parlor. He was smiling wickedly to himself, holding out a sharp dagger for us to see. He said... Henrietta, Henrietta, this knife is going to kill you. Jonathan, what do you mean? Let Henrietta alone. This knife's from a voodoo doctor. He guarantees the charm. Tonight, I'm going to plant this dagger in that live oak tree down near the crypt. And as the tree grows... Really make him stop tormenting As it grows, the knife will rise slowly until it reaches your height. Jonathan, shut up. I won't have this. And then you will die, Henrietta. Then you will die. <laughs> it was the next night, Inspector, that Jonathan disappeared in the bayou. But for Henrietta, it was too late. Uh, you mean uh, Jonathan had already planted the knife in the tree? Henrietta and I saw it one afternoon when we visited the family crypt. She fairly shook with dread. But such a thing's only superstition, Miss Lamb. To you, perhaps, who come from outside these bayous. Here we know what the power of a voodoo charm can be. So the knife rose higher as the tree grew and... Uh... Henrietta watched it closely. Every week she'd walk down to the crypt and stare at the dagger. Then two days ago, in the late afternoon, she came running up the path, screaming and sobbing. So the time had come. Yes. So Henrietta knew that somehow she'd die. And suicide. Arsenic was the answer. I'm afraid so, Inspector. Now you know why she killed herself. I'm afraid I don't, Miss Lamb. What you ask me to believe is impossible. Uh, get your wrap. I'm taking you to headquarters for a confession. What was the clue that led Inspector James to know Amelia Lamb was lying? In a moment, we'll hear the answer. But first... The unknown. Mystery. Space. Fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Journey Into podcast features replays of old radio shows like X-1, Escape, Suspense, Lights Out, and many more. Also, about once a month, I sure am trying, it will also feature full cast readings of new and classic stories, as well as new flash fiction. Think of it as a variety pack of audio fiction. It's a happy meal for your ears, or if you don't like happy meals, 
It's like the toy chest you used to dive into when you went to the dentist as a kid. Come check it out at journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com So, come with me and let's journey into space. Or into adventure. Or into fear. Or into mystery. Or into the unknown. Or... And now, Inspector James. Under police examination, Miss Lamb broke down and confessed to the murders of both Henrietta and Jonathan. She had disposed of the man's body five years before in a nearby quicksand bog. Her story of Henrietta's suicide had psychological conviction, except for one point. You see, a knife stuck into a tree always stays where you put it, for trees grow higher not from their trunks, but from their tops. is an American noir drama directed by Fritz Long and stars Edward G. Robinson and Joan Bennett. And as I understand it, it, you often hear Fritz Lang, and I may bounce back to that, but I think his the actual pronunciation is supposed to be Long. Oh. I have it under somewhat good authority that that's correct. <laughs> the film is based on a French novel. Um, I don't know how to say this in French, but it, is, it works out to literally, and oh, excuse the language, the bitch. Oh, <laughs> Edward G. Robinson uh, noticed the thematic similarities between this film and Long's The Woman in the Window from 1944, which also starred Robinson and Bennett, and he found Scarlet Street monotonous to do and couldn't wait to finish it and move on to other projects. I noticed that. I actually started watching The Woman in the Window and went, wait, this is the same movie. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> it's got almost the entire the same cast, the almost same cast identical. and director. It's, yes, yeah, I had no idea. With the the addition of um of Massey, mm-hmm. of, uh, Raymond but, Massey, Raymond yeah. Massey, but a little bit different. We'll talk about them in a minute. Okay, all right. <laughs> Robinson maybe didn't care for it. Well, neither did uh, New York, Milwaukee, and Atlanta. Those three cities actually banned the film because of its dark plot and themes and wouldn't show it. A little bit of the plot here. Christopher Cross is a middle-aged man working a lackluster job and living a lackluster life. His only joy comes from his amateur attempts at painting. On the night of his 20th anniversary as an employee of a clothing manufacturer, he sets out home after being toasted by his boss and colleagues. On the way to the train station, he spots a young woman being roughed up by a man. He attacks the man and manages a lucky blow that knocks the man down and out. As Cross goes to find a police officer, the man comes to and disappears, leaving the woman behind. The young woman, who we learn is Catherine Kitty March, gets her hero to walk her home. Cross is immediately smitten with Kitty, and the two have a drink together. Through a collection of assumptions by Kitty and omissions by Cross, Kitty comes to believe Cross is a world-famous painter. Cross begins to pursue a relationship with Kitty, despite himself being married, albeit unhappily. It's when Kitty's conniving boyfriend, Johnny, 
who we find out is the man who was beating her the other night, discovers Cross's attention to Kitty that the two hatch a plan to swindle money out of what they assume is a rich mark. What follows is a story of lies, betrayal, and a man's desperate attempt at finally achieving some happiness in his life. Director Fritz Long was an Austrian filmmaker whose career dates back to 1918. He began work at the German UFA, UFA studio just as the Expressionist movement was kicking off. He would combine standard film fare themes with Expressionist techni techniques to create a mix of popular entertainment with art house cinema. He and his wife Thea wrote several movies together, including Dr. Mabuse, The Gambler, in 1922, a film based on a literary character, Dr. Mabuse. The first film in, a, in its original form ran for over four hours. The pair would also write one of Long's most recognized films, the 1927 science fiction classic Metropolis. This film went so far over budget with its expansive sets, actors, and special effects that it nearly destroyed UFA. Despite it now having a solid place in film history, it was a financial flop on its release. In 1931, Nero Film hired Long to direct the thriller M, his first talkie, and thought of by many scholars and critics as being a masterpiece of the early sound era. This film stars Peter Lorre in his first appearance as a child molester who is hunted down by Berlin's criminal underworld. Always looking to get the shot right, Long allegedly threw Lorre down a flight of stairs during a climatic scene to give him the proper battered look. Long was known to be difficult to work with, and the stereotype of the tyrannical German director complete with monocle properly suited him. The rise of the Nazi party worried Long due to his Jewish ancestry, and his fears were realized when the Nazis' Nuremberg laws would consider him part Jewish even though his mother was a convert to Roman Catholic and raised Long as such. Despite this, propaganda minister Joseph, Joseph Goebbels called Long to his offices and offered him the position to head UFA. Long said that it was during this meeting that he decided to leave for Paris. With the banks being closed by the time the meeting was over, Long just sold off his wife's jewelry and left, leaving most of his possessions behind and fled that night. Wow. In Paris, Long directed a film, Lilium, starring uh, an O.E. favorite, Charles Boyer. Yay! <laughs> this would be his only French film as he soon left for the United States. He signed first with MGM and directed the crime thriller Fury with Spencer Tracy, uh, in 1936. Long then became involved with the Hollywood Anti-Nazi League and made four films with an explicitly anti-Nazi theme. Manhunt in 41, Hangman Also Die in 43, Ministry of Fear in 44, and Cloak and Dagger in 1946. His American films were often compared unfavorably to his earlier works by contemporary critics, although the expressionism of these films is now seen as integral to the emergence and evolution of American genre cinema, film noir in particular. Scarlet Street, one of his films featuring Edward G. Robinson and Joan Bennett, is considered a central film in this genre. Edward G. Robinson was a Romanian-born actor. His original name was Emanuel Goldenberg, and he was born into a Yiddish-speaking Romanian-Jewish family in Bucharest. When one of his brothers was attacked by an anti-Semite mob, his family packed up and immigrated to the U.S. He began acting in 1913 in the Yiddish Theater District of New York, made his Broadway debut in 1915, and made his film debut in the 1916 film Arms and the Man, all under his real name. 
E.G. Robinson would make his debut in the 1923 silent film The Bright Shawl. His career would span 50 years and include over 100 films and is perhaps best known for his tough guy gangster persona on display in films like Little Caesar and Key Largo. A few other roles include an insurance investigator in the film noir Double Indemnity, Dathan, the adversary of Moses in The Ten Commandments, and his final performance in the science fiction story Soylent Green. And I also went to look up Joan Bennett and... um, She's another actress who's got a lot more stuff that you can... I was already kind of going long. Uh, I knew her best, actually, from her Dark Shadows role when she went to uh, television. Oh. Was, she was kind of the uh, the matriarch in the uh, Collins family and Dark Shadows. <laughs> uh, but she also has a really great uh, career and a, a lot of information that you can look up uh, for yourself. Yeah, but I was kind of getting wordy and long, and there's so much. That's the problem. When you look up people like Fritz Long and Edward G. Robinson, it's like they've got so much information, and I'm just trying to pick out highlights that when I actually put it out and then read it all together, it feels like I'm just going <laughs> to just, it's like a shotgun, just random, right. <laughs> random facts. There's a lot of information all in one breath. <laughs> but it's hard, with, like with people with, like Edward G. Robinson, who's in these icon- iconic movies like like Soylent Green, like the Ten Commandments, like the Sea Wolf, and Key Largo, where he's, interestingly, he's not playing the same character in movies like that as he's playing in movies like Scarlet Street. Even mm-hmm. in The Woman in the Window, he's a different character than in this. So th- even though they're very similar and made only a year apart from each other and directed sequentially by the same director, it still has a really different feel, even though it's the same actor. So I think that this is... The, the sheer number of credits he has is testimony to his, his div, not diversity, his um, range, <laughs> his range go. as an actor. I think diversity would have worked too, but <laughs> range probably worked. was better, yes. <laughs> I will admit, I don't have a lot of Edward G. Robinson uh, films under my belt. I know him most from things like, you know, the gangster roles. I know him from like Key Largo, mm-hmm. um, that sort of stuff, and, and just clips of him being the tough guy so it was nice seeing him in a role like this where he's very different from those types of those types of uh those types of roles it's very in your face kind of characters mm-hmm. joan bennett as i was saying i knew her more from latter in her career and so seeing her in this when she's what probably in her 20s and beautiful woman yeah it, interestingly i can't i can't think of anything i've seen her in and her name sounded really familiar watching it, but I, you know, I think of Joan Crawford. <laughs> yeah. I think of other, she she was in so many well-known movies that were later remade. So The Mississippi Gambler was made later with Piper Laurie. Of course, um, uh, Little Women remade many, many times, you know, and, and it seems like the movies she made were then remade, which... Maybe is a compliment, <laughs> but, but you know, it, or in the case of the woman in the window in Scarlet Street, they were kind of remade right one after the other <laughs> with the same care. It, it's, it, it's interesting. She sort of, uh, she, she too is a little different in these two movies. I really kind of want to just talk about the movie because there are some, some bits about her that are, I, it's this is going to be hard. This is going to be a, a little bit hard for me because I accidentally watched 
another I ran across the woman in the window not realizing how it related to this movie and now I can't unsee the links <laughs> so, all right yeah no. so we uh, might have a little bit of difficulty there now we'll, we will definitely get into that but I get I do want to mention the one thing uh, I read about uh, Bennett is that her career she had kind of like three distinct f- uh, phases. Mm-hmm. She started out early as like the sort of the, the blonde uh, ingenue in, in, in the roles. And then she kind of turned into the sensuous brunette, you know, and, and femme fatale. This and era, then yep. she changed over to like the warm-hearted wife and mother figure. So she kind of, especially for this time, as an actress that she's aging, actually actually managed to continue her career mm. Not many actresses from this era were able to do that. So she's rather unique in that, and that she was able to take, you know, okay, yes, I'm not the 20-something waif anymore, but now I can be like the sort of middle-aged badass. And now, okay, I'm not middle-aged anymore. Well, now I can be the... the, the, the I can be someone's mom or grandmother. And <laughs> she actually found the roles, and I thought that was uh, that was great. It is. That is really interesting, and, and you're exactly right. There are a lot of actresses that I think... Well, basically, just didn't weren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Kath, Catherine Hepburn comes to mind. Love her, love her to pieces. But when she aged, she just kind of went away. I think probably out of choice. But it's so it's interesting to see somebody that really hung in there and did make those changes and those transitions. And I have to think she had to actually have worked really hard to do it too, because a lot of the times it's not the actor's choice. To not work anymore. <laughs> That's valid. It's the That's studios that go, yeah, you're just not right for this role. And it, it happens even today where people star as parent and, and child, but there's only like maybe six years between them yes, in real yeah. life. Because Hollywood just wants younger people. They are only now really kind of trying sort of to get over that. They still have a long way to go. <laughs> But yes, if you want to get into this film, I think it's absolutely time to do so. This was an interesting watch, especially outside of Metropolis. I not watched anything from Fritz Long before. And the Edward Gene Robinson, like I said, I don't have many films that I've seen. Bennett, I only knew from Dark Shadows. So this was a whole lot of like, I mean, this was an introduction to me pretty much across the board. I, I think for me it is too. I, it's interesting looking through what Edward G. Robinson has been in. I hadn't realized how many things I had seen him in. Um, and, and, you know, partly because he is the main character in this film. And, you know, you mentioned that Hollywood isn't uh, isn't super keen on casting middle-aged people <laughs> in main roles. I guess film noir made the exception there. Um and and so even though I've seen him in, in many, many movies, I just never, I, I don't remember him. He, it's not that he's a character actor. It's just that, you know, part of being able to convincingly be a different type of character in each movie, you, people don't necessarily remember, oh, yeah, you know, that's the same guy in that other thing because he's not exactly the same. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, interesting. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm inundating you. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, yes, that is interesting, Lydia. Yes, it is. Yeah. No. The, so, t- talking more specifically about this character, um, it, it it's oh, this is. There's a lot I want to say about this movie, mm-hmm. but I feel like maybe we need to decide up front if we're going to give away the end or not. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think I think we're gonna hack gonna have to. So yeah, fair warning. Uh, <laughs> if you don't want it spoiled, you want to check this thing out for yourself. You might want to pause and and go and watch it. I agree, and and I recommend it if you're if you've stuck with us for the last nine and a half years or about however long it's been. <laughs> I think you're about a it's year a off. While. Yeah, it's about ten and a half. <laughs> about ten and a half years. If you guys have been with us that long, you know that once we once we get going, you know we're going to be giving away a lot of secrets and surprises in here. So if you haven't watched this movie yet, clearly you like this this sort of thing. Go ahead and watch it. And uh, then come back and listen to the podcast. There. Yes. Okay. Disclaimer said. Great. Yes. All right. <laughs> On we go. <laughs> yes. So, and I, I genuinely, I have to pull up all the names in the game. <laughs> yes, I've got them too. If I could just do like an initial, just kind of an initial statement about the film overall is this was a movie where almost from the beginning, I had no idea what was going to happen next. I agree. It, I, I agree. It had a lot going on. Uh, it clocks in about an hour and 40-something, if I'm not mistaken. An hour 41, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it packs a lot in that hour and 40 minutes. I mean, you feel like you've been... And I don't I don't say this to be um, an insult to the film or anything, but you feel like you've been sitting there for two, two and a half hours or whatever just because yes. of everything that happens. Yeah, and it, it isn't that it's paced slowly. The pacing is good but there mm-hmm. there is yeah i mean you have three people almost four people but really three people that each are so complex or have such a level of complexity to them that their relationships with one another are by default also extremely complex and so and this is i love i love the opening of this movie it does something that once I had watched this movie for the second time, I actually, I actually, the set, the first time I watched it was the second time I watched it because I started <laughs> watching it and I went, I've seen this movie before. <laughs> and I didn't remember, I thought I remembered the ending. I didn't quite remember the ending, but it turned out I had actually seen this movie before. Which oh, okay. I didn't remember I, when we talked about it. I think maybe you picked Scarlet Street. I don't remember. But uh, as I started watching it, I went, I've seen this before. And I, ha- I saw it, though, when I was distracted doing something else and just playing movies in the background. Oh, right. So, so you so, didn't really see it. <laughs> I didn't really watch it. Right. It, you know, but I had, I had sort of seen it. So, but the things that I didn't pick up even the second time that I watched it, as I started thinking about it before I watched it, you know, the second time for this podcast, I started realizing how much information they give you in the first five, ten minutes of this film. You learn so much about this character without ever seeing where he lives or really knowing what he does or knowing who he's married to or knowing his past. You just see him with his, his work buddies and you immediately find out this is a guy that stays at a job for 25 years and is very soft-spoken and doesn't really imagine much for himself in the way of life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because at no point does he tell you this. He's a guy that'll go out of his way to hold an umbrella for a work friend, you know, take him all the way down to his bus stop because it's raining at his own expense, you know. And as you watch the movie, you come to understand 
walking around outside with somebody from work in the rain is preferable to going home. (laughs) (laughs) Because his wife is horrible. She's just awful. And event, you know, and after a little while you hear, you know, he does say, you know, oh, I was I was renting from her after she was widowed and you know, at first she was she was sweet. She was sweet as cream, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, well, now, you know. And he was and he was lonely. And he was he lonely. Just couldn't stand the loneliness anymore. And he says, "I I love early on." He says, "Say, uh, Charlie, uh, you suppose JJ is running around with that young lady? It looks that way. I I I wonder what it's like. What, Chris?" Well, to be to be loved by a young girl like that. You know, nobody ever looked at me like that. Not even when I was young. Yes, when we're young, we have dreams that never pan out, but we go on dreaming. When I was young, I wanted to be an artist. You know, I dreamt I was going to be a great painter someday. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a cashier. Do you still paint? Yeah, every Sunday. Well, that's one way to kill time. You know, Sunday's one day of the week that I don't like. I never know what to do with myself. Well, why don't you come over tomorrow and see me? Thanks, Chris. I'll do that. Good night, Chris. Uh, good night, Charlie. Uh, see you tomorrow. Yeah, good night. I can be looking at his bosses and... Uh, piece on the side yes. you know <laughs> leggy blonde um, you're he, it, it's you just learn so much about him so fast without his ever telling you directly who he is and it, there's such a depth of storytelling just in this first 10 minutes and he, when he sees uh, Kitty you know across under the L a, a block away almost you know, being manhandled, frankly, being slapped around. I was pretty uh-huh. surprised by how how violent it was I, in, you know, being slapped around, you know, and his immediate instinct to go rescue her. It made sense, but it was also, it, it, it was, it, it's so interesting to see this guy who's so unassuming, you know, take offense for this, this woman that he, he can barely even see she's so far away. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, the, the storytelling in it is rich enough that if all that had happened in this whole movie was him to go and save her from being beaten, it would be a full and rich story. Right. <laughs> you know, if he then went home and said, you know, to his wife, hey, I saved a lady tonight. And she said, oh, you're lying. I don't believe you. You know, and then the, fa- <laughs> the camera just faded out. It would be a really good episode of the Twilight movie, uh, the Twilight show almost. <laughs> But there's a real, I keep using the word rich, but there is a real depth of storytelling just in these first 10 minutes that I think exemplify. It, 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 it's, it, it's what makes it seem like such a long movie is there's so much in every moment of it. The elements that you're talking about and everything too, and they're, they're conveyed so well by Robinson. He has an amazing talent to... You know, change, and you you see that wistful look on his mm-hmm. face uh, when he's talking to his coworker. Like mm-hmm. we at this point don't even know that he's married. That's true. I forgot. We about have that. no idea about his life actually, other yeah. than the fact that you get the feeling that he's he he's a little lonely. Lonely. He's, yeah, yeah. And and even just walking his his coworker to the bus stop is mm-hmm. also very much like I you know I don't want to go home because then I'll you, you think. He's going to be by himself. Yes, actually, you're exactly right. 
And so he's like, oh, no, no, I'll walk you. It's fine. It's fine. And, you know, yeah, him uh, running to Kitty's rescue probably has a lot to do with the fact that he's apparently had a fair amount of champagne at this big party (laughs) and everything. That's true. And that's all, you're right, it's not told it's shown, it's shown and shown subtly. This is the kind of person that immediately, like when I see him on screen, my heart goes out to him and I'm like, oh, I want him to have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Oh, oh, I really want him to have a happy and ending. Then, and then you remember this is directed by a German. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, silly me, I don't look up movies before I watch them for the most part. <laughs> So, so we, you know, we, we meet Kitty and, and again, they do such a phenomenal job of her, you know, see, you don't really know quite, you know, at first she just, she seems like, oh, you know, she's just the damsel in distress. And as they get to, to her place and she, you know, says, oh, sorry, I can't invite you up. I've got a, I've got a roommate. And he says, well, would you like some coffee? And the, as soon as they go down into the coffee shop, she asks, have you seen Johnny? Mm-hmm. And immediately you go, okay, wait. <laughs> Throughout the whole thing, at no point does she, do they just, it's, it's hard to explain because they hand you all the information right up front. Mm-hmm. There's nothing hidden, but there's also no exposition. Just none. It's all in it's all in stances, the way that she, you know, cocks her hips a little bit, the way that she looks at him like how, you know, oh, you know, what who is this guy? You know, how much is he worth? Like, you know, oh, why is he interested in me? Like not in a not in the sense of, oh, you know, I'm not interesting, but in a oh, okay, where where is this going? You know, she's always calculating, always calculating. Right. And and so they get into this conversation. Cheers, Chris. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Miss March. Uh, Kitty. Yes, Miss. Uh, I mean, uh, Kitty. Uh, well, uh, look, uh, Kitty. Uh, since I'm old enough to be your father. Uh, you're not so old. You don't think so? Well, you're not a boy. You're just uh, mature. I like mature people. Well, what I wanted to say was, uh, you shouldn't be alone in the street so late at night. I was coming home from work. You work this late? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you do? Guess. You're an actress. Oh, you are clever. Now that you know all about me, tell me about yourself. What do you do? I? I, um... Well, you see... No, no, don't tell me. You work in a bank? <laughs> no. Well, let's see. Greenwich Village is full of artists. I meet you in Greenwich Village. You must be an artist, right? Well, I, uh... Yes, yes, I, I paint. Of course, you're a painter. I love paintings. To think I took you for a cashier. You know those art galleries on Fifth Avenue? The prices they charge. I saw one little picture that cost $50,000. They call it a... a Cezanne. Cezanne. Oh, he was a great French painter. I'd like to own that painting. You would? Mm. For $50,000? Well, you you can't put any price on masterpieces like that. They're worth... uh, 
Well, whatever you can afford to pay for them. And it took me the second time watching it to really catch that you have two people sitting here in completely different situations viewing this scene from completely different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Here is a man looking at this young woman thinking, you know, he even says at one point, you know, I'm old enough to be your father, so, you know, you really shouldn't be out by yourself at night. But he's thinking, here's this young, innocent girl. She's just ready to be fallen in love with. You know, she's just ready for for life to, you know, she she, she has everything ahead of her. She should, she you know, she's beautiful. She's She just d- deserves to have everything given to her. And here's this woman going, oh, man, I really would love to r- meet a rich schmuck. And <laughs> so she perceives him as a rich schmuck. They... Neither of them are what the other person perceives them as, but both of them are so sucked into this fantasy of what the other person might be mm-hmm. that it they just smash into each other in the most unfortunate possible way for him. I like that. Well, I was going to say neither of them, no, but I guess she's the one that actually is lying quite a bit omitting for sure yeah (laughs) yeah well and and cross is too cross is his is definitely a a lie of omission because he's not really quick to correct her or he's just well like you know oh so you're an artist well yeah i I paint yeah (laughs) oh yeah i love to paint yeah (laughs) right oh yeah i thought you'd be like a cashier you don't work at a bank do you no no no, i don't work at a bank bank. (laughs) but it is interesting i especially the second and third times I was watching this, more and more I read his omissions as modesty and her omissions as falsehoods. Like she she doesn't want him to think that she's, you know, good for nothing because she because he might actually be a rich guy. And for him, he's like he's enjoying the fantasy I think but he doesn't really necessarily believe it'll go anywhere and he's also just she'll ask him a question and he'll respond I think truthfully like saying you know oh I'd love yeah I'd love to own that painting and she says for $50,000 and he says oh you know you can't put value on art it's it's you know, it's it's whatever you can afford to pay for it is how valuable it is. But I don't think he's thinking, oh, I got her. She thinks I'm rich. Mm-hmm. I think at no, no point. No, not at all. At no point does he realize she is looking at him like a fish mm-hmm. and hoping he'll take a bite. But the whole time that's where she is. He is like, I think, feeling like. My perception is he's like, oh, I, this this girl needs to be protected. She's been being beat up on a dark street corner by some man. You know, right. obviously she needs to be protected. She claims to at one point to be. Uh, I don't know if he asks if she's an actress or if she actually says that she's an he actress. Guesses. But it, guesses. She says, yeah. "What do you think?" You know, he says, "What do you do?" And she says, "What do you think I do?" And he says, "Are you an actress?" And she says, "Oh, you're good." Right. Yeah. And that's actually probably not a lie because she's definitely acting. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And he says, she says, I was leaving work and, and he says, oh, what show are you in? And she says, oh, it just closed. Yes. And <laughs> I love the, uh, yeah, what play are you doing? I'd love to see it. Oh, oh sorry. It, it just closed. Which one? The one that just ended. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hers is, hers is blatant lying. His is, yeah, it, it, it again, it's these 
I think he's thinking, I don't want to scare away this, you know, innocent young thing by making her think I'm a predatory man. Right. Because, you know, that's not how he perceives himself. And here she's going, I don't want to scare this guy away by thinking I'm just in it for the money because he's probably got a lot of it or, you know, whatever. I don't even think that she's thinking that at that point. Not she's at looking that at him point. and she's getting a couple free drinks out of yes, him. Yes, exactly. And, and she figures that's that's as far as it's going to go. They're yes. going to go their separate ways. And, and he at the end, he, he asks, can I, you know, can I write you? And yeah. he's like, well, there's my address. You know, she doesn't care. Yeah, and, you're you know, right. If he does, she's it's not like she's going to answer the, the, the letter or anything, you know? Yes, yeah. She has... Those, those, that's not her intentions. She's just, oh, this nice guy walked me home and bought me a drink, and then I went home. That, right. that That's as far as she was thinking at this point. Yeah, and if I tell him the truth, he's going to think I'm a no good and stop buying me drinks, maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's not until her uh, her boyfriend Johnny gets into the picture. Yes, the devil. Yes. <laughs> the devil in disguise. Yeah, which we, like, as I said, we find out is the one that was beating her up. Yeah. There's so many relationships in this that I think are just, to coin your phrase, interesting. Uh, yeah. There's her, even her roommate, uh, Marie, I think it is. Uh, Millie. Millie. Has he bought you that engagement ring yet? Oh, you seem to worry more about it than I do. The new $45 model. Oh, Rogers let me have it for 18 Bet he'd be a profit at that. I thought you were modeling girdles for the catalog. I have been. Oh. I ache like a dog. Of course it's ever come back. I swear I'll quit modeling. Why don't you go back to work? That figure, if you weren't so darn lazy. Who do you think you are? My guardian angel? Not me, honey. I lost those wings a long time ago. Mm, that's what I thought. No wonder you got fired, you're so darn snippy. You never could get to work on time after you met that Johnny. Johnny, what's happened to you? Don't you wish it could happen to you? I'm in love, crazy in love. With a man that pushes you around the way I wouldn't push a cat around. You leave Johnny out of this. With your looks and figure, you could get any man you want. Sure, but there's only one I want. Yeah, and he's making a tramp out of you. You wouldn't know love if it hit you in the face. If that's where it hits you, you ought to know. She knows Kitty's just absolutely screwing up her life. Millie sees that she's just going down a, a, the wrong direction. Like, what do you see in Johnny? Johnny beats her. Kitty's one of those people who are like, well, he beats me because he loves me. Oh, my god! <laughs> it's, it's terrible. And Millie sees it, and she tries to tell her. And just Kitty won't hear it. She yeah. won't listen. What did she say? You wouldn't know love if it hit you in the face. Well, you would know. (laughs) And Millie says, well, if that's where it hits you, you would know. Because that's what, yeah, it's amazing. Three, four times we see Johnny literally smacking her around. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, uh, I struggle with that because it makes me want to strangle the guy. (laughs) I'm, I just blows my mind. You know, of course we're all watching this going, why would she stay with this horrible man? He takes all her money. He beats her constantly. And then she just hangs all over him and just smothers him in slobbery kisses. And it's like, what is wrong with you girl? Like truly thinks she's in love with this guy and that they're going to be married. And she's She's waiting for him to buy that ring. Yeah. Delusional. Uh, it, That's the word. 
Yeah, and it, it is a thought process that goes through some women's head that it, for those of us on the outside, we will never understand. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And it's, I, I think, I mean, I can understand you mentioned some cities had banned this movie. For that alone, mm. I can totally see this being censored. Um, and, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about other reasons in, in a few minutes, but... Uh, I I was it, it, for a 1944 movie. I suppose you know you you said it's a German director. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be so surprised, but I just was kind of shocked at the level of aggression that's shown toward her in this. Usually they'll you know do the sound and then show her holding her face. It doesn't do that in this. In this, he's swinging at her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, if there wasn't contact, I'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, 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 even accidental contact. <laughs> yeah, but Johnny's the one that he uh, he finds this letter from um, from Chris, who's actually wrote her and he tells her how much he enjoyed the time they spent together, et cetera, et cetera. And she confides, and she tells Johnny like he was some artist. I'm like, wait, what? You know, this guy's worth money, and he's the one that hatches the plan to like yes. well, write him back. But for cat's sake, this chump is crazy about you. This is a setup. He's in the big money, isn't he? You said 50000 a picture, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Well, here I am, knocking my brains out, trying to raise a little capital, and this is right in your lap. You don't have to call uh, what's-his-name and get a measly 50. This bird is goofy about you. Write him. Date him up. Oh, I can't take money off an old man like that. For cat's sake, get big-hearted. And smart, lazy legs. Why well, see fellas in the big dough without half my brains? But ability isn't enough. You gotta have money to make money. Capital. Now, the boys at the Acme Garage have cut me in on a half interest if I can put up the money. How much do they want? Oh, three or four thousand. Yikes. Well, for cat's sake, I'm not talking about chicken feed. Use your imagination. You get an interest in a business like that, and it's a cinch to squeeze out your partners. Then you're on easy street. Jeepers, the pipe dreams you have. Now, what about the letter? Oh, I can get 50 or 100, perhaps, but I can't get the kind of money you're talking about. I wouldn't know how. Ah. Johnny? Johnny, where are you going? Well, I won't be wasting my time. Johnny? Johnny? See if you can get some dough off him. I only need 500 bucks, you know. Yeah, 500 bucks in 1944. That's a lot of damn that's money. That's a lot of money. And then I think the first thing he he breaks out is he says, oh, yeah, I could I could go into partnership with the guys down at the garage for just two or $3,000, or three or $4,000, I think he says. And she's like, holy, what did she say? Holy cats? Something yes. like that. And immediately, his immediate thought is, how can I get this pretty girlfriend to to con men out of money mm-hmm. so yeah when i say he's the devil i'm i'm not stretching much there he's oh awful. no there's not a, he will there is not a level that he wouldn't stoop mm-hmm. or expect her to stoop yeah uh you even get the impression that he would have been absolutely fine if, if it took letting chris sleep with her oh, in order to get absolutely. more money absolutely yeah hey, whatever yeah he, he didn't care Yes, and it's interesting. It's he, there's no remorse. He's Mm-mm. not. It's not as if he's like you know. Well, we'll just do it this one time. You know. No, no. He's like, oh yeah. Why not get more out of that? Get more. If you can string them along as long as you need to, you know, we can get we can get tons of money out of this guy. 
And right. it makes you wonder, like, how many times? It, it, how many times has he tried to do this? How many? How many women has he tried to do this with? How many times has he tried to do this with her? How long have they even been together at this point? <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Johnny's <laughs> awful. That's enough. He is absolutely awful. He's almost as awful as Adele. Well, why can't that old skinflint Hogarth give you a raise? You don't even make enough money to buy me a radio. I have to run downstairs every night to listen to the radio. The way I have to scrimp and save and you wasting money on paints. I'd like to know what you'd do without me. Poor dear Homer. If only he had a grave where I could put some flowers. Why, you couldn't even ask me to marry you. I had to put the words into your mouth. I'd have been better off a widow. The only reason I put up with you is because I'm married to you. I'm stuck. Yes, and I'm stuck too. Have you been drinking? No, I haven't. Let me smell your breath. No. Then what's the matter with you? Why are you shouting at me? Well, you keep blaming me for not buying you a radio. But you think I like running downstairs every night to listen to the radio? Well, why don't you buy a radio? You have money. His insurance money? Well, I don't want a radio. You want it. I'll never touch those bonds. They're for my old age. If Homer were alive, I'd have a radio. He made a good salary. He gave me a good home. Well, you're living in the same apartment, aren't you? Yes. But it didn't smell of paint. I can't sleep with the smell of paint. And all your silly pictures cluttering up the hall. If you don't get rid of that trash, I swear I'll give it to the junk man. Adele. I will. I swear I will. <laughs> and the things you paint. It was bad enough when you used to copy picture postcards. Well, Utrillo copies postcards, and he's considered a great painter. <laughs> now I suppose you're copying Utrillo, whatever his name is. They're getting crazier all the time. Oh, yes. I saw what you're doing. Girls. Snakes. Next thing you'll be painting women without clothes. I never saw a woman without any clothes. I should hope not. Now, they give each other a run for their money. Chris's yeah, wife perhaps. is... Uh, oh, she's oof. a shrill... Gosh. Yeah, she's Shrew. just a mean, mean, mean woman. She's mean. Yeah, that's the... the yeah, you wrapped it up. Okay, next person. No, I'm kidding. Right. No, she is. And there's no cause for it. That's the that's the thing is, you know, she is truly cruel towards Chris, takes advantage of him, abuses him for no reason. I think that's a fascinating statement because here you have Chris and you have Kitty in almost identical situations, except Chris is stuck with his because of law. And Kitty right. is stuck with hers because she imagines herself to be in love with this horrible guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they both are being just preyed upon by their respective, you know, love interests or whatever relationships. Right. But they they both. Yeah, it, it's so interesting. You keep thinking, okay, they're going to get out of this. They're going to get out of this somehow. Even even at the point later on in the movie, about an hour in, when Chris is holding a knife and Adele is ragging on him, and he looks at the knife and he looks at her, and you go, oh, "Do it, do it!" <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "Oh, this is a 1940s movie, so you can get away with it, but ooh, it's still tempting." Right. <laughs> he doesn't, and he doesn't. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> oh, it pains me through this film that. On a couple different times, Chris looks like he's on the verge of doing something wrong. You know, whether it's, yeah, the knife with his wife. 
mm-hmm. or money out of the cashier's safe mm-hmm. and you're you're going there oh chris don't do it don't do yes. it and he steps back and he doesn't do it and you're like yes. good good for yeah. you chris unfortunately that doesn't last through the entire film <laughs> not forever no <laughs> as i said at the beginning i didn't know what was going to happen from one moment to the next in this film and this is the type of film where you're watching and you have kind of expectations that this is going to be this is 1940 so you're going to have this is going to be the film where kitty sees the error of his ways and realizes how wonderful she's being treated by chris versus Mm -hmm. johnny and decides to throw johnny to the curb or or something no or even yeah or even just goes you know what johnny's bad for me chris you're married i can't be with you but you've got me on my feet now i'm going to survive or, you know, right. gosh, I, I kept, I really, honestly, at one point thought he's going to kill Adele and they're going to get away with it. He's going to get away with it. And he doesn't kill her. And you're like, if anybody, I mean, there are two people in this movie that deserve to be killed. And Adele is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and neither of them are, well, neither of them are murdered. That's for sure. So. No. <laughs> but, but it's, but you're exactly right. So here, you know, they're in this, they're in this pseudo relationship it's so horrible kitty just bad mouthing him to johnny anytime that chris is gone and you feel so bad for him because he's just he's completely oblivious to it he's suckered he's Mm -hmm. so suckered but he goes and he paints and he's been painting he says he paints every sunday and he's got all these paintings and johnny of course being johnny decides he's gonna steal some of them and sell them just to see if he can get a couple bucks right right well, at, at this out. point, they think he's a world famous painter. Well, they think he's a world. Yeah, that's they true. do. Yeah, they Johnny and Kitty think he's a world famous painter. So obviously, they take their work around to someone that knows this stuff. They'll end up getting thousands for it. Right. So they have to just hawk it somewhere that nobody will quite recognize it, and uh, ends up it does sell to an extremely famous art critic. Mm-hmm. Critic. And turns out that Chris is a genius painter. And so what do they do? Johnny says, okay, Kitty, put your name on all these. Right. And you're like, oh, are you freaking kidding me right now? What? What? Why? Why? Why not just say <laughs> it's Chris's and then be like, hey, Chris, can I have some more money? Hey, Chris, can I have some more money? Hey, you just sold another painting for a grand. How about a new fur coat? You know, I like it. The, the level of evil Mm-hmm. from Johnny. I just, I hate the name Johnny. It's too nice of a name for him. He needs to be something really evil. His name needs to be something horrible to fit his personality. Yeah, Johnny <laughs> Prince is his Johnny name. Johnny Prince. Yeah. Johnny Prince of Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's horrible. He's horrible. Oh, he's just awful. So, they convince this nice, handsome, upstanding you know, polite art critic that gorgeous Kitty is this genius painter. Mm-hmm. And Chris, when his wife comes in, sees the paintings and starts screaming at him about stealing his ideas from this famous female painter. He goes to Kitty and he says, what are you, what are you doing? How could you steal my paintings? I trusted you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, no, he, it's okay. I'm just happy that they like my paintings. Yeah, you exactly. You put your name on them. Chris, what the hell is wrong with you? What yeah, are you he's thinking? So, he is, oh. 
He is nice to a fault. There is such a thing as being too nice. And yeah. I'm not saying he should have slapped Kitty around. Johnny will do that plenty. But but he might have said, you know, let's just go straighten it all out. And hey, you know, I'm happy to help you with the money. Like, I get that he's not doing it for the money. But, ah, oh, like you just... Don't you even want your name on it? Don't you even want people to know that they're yours? It's just like, okay, now now you're kind of becoming a kitty and asking to be stepped on. Mm-hmm. You're kind of asking yeah. for somebody to just put their foot on your face and just squish. And Yeah, no, it's painful. It's painful to see how abused is. he is by, by Kitty and Johnny. And, and the fact that, I mean, we see it, we know it. And we're watching him being completely oblivious to it. Yeah. And it you, you're like yelling at the screen, you know, yes. Chris, wake up. <laughs> don't, yeah. Like you don't have to kill her. Just stop letting her, like, and, and she is, she is an actress. She is mm-hmm. a good actress. And I think if we, if we had, if I would, oh, I, I just had a brilliant idea. It would be incredibly interesting to watch this movie with all of the parts with Johnny and it edited out. And see oh, where it's truly just from her? Chris's standpoint, from mm. Chris's point of view, like what this is all really like. That would be really interesting because I think she is that good of an actress right up until the end. So actually like fool the audience as well. Yes. Well, and, and I'm not saying it would be a better movie, but I think it would help understand the part of Chris more because he really believes he's helping this beautiful young woman like oh yeah you know i don't i don't need anything i've got my gold watch and i'm i'm getting to paint and and i get to spend time with this beautiful woman that's really all i want in life right who he now loves i mean he yeah. even admits that he loves her and asks her to marry him if anything ever happens to his wife right which fortunately something does cuz it turns out her previously thought dead husband turns out to be alive <laughs> and for some reason her her husband actually tries to bribe uh, Chris with like, well, if you give me a few bucks, I'll stay away. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you wonder. Okay, I that's don't the think- only real. That's the only time that I'm really, truly, truly is just like, oh, I am so happy for you, Chris. His yes. plan for this is yes. fantastic. Well, and, and it's so it makes you immediately wonder. Okay, so Adele is always talking up her husband to Chris, always saying, you know, oh, Chris, you're so you're so worthless, you're so useless, you don't make enough money, and no, I'm not going to use my husband's life insurance to buy myself a radio because it's your job to do it. Blah blah blah. But even though her husband, her Homer, her presumed deceased husband Homer, is back in town and says, you know, oh no, I'm going to stay away from her good. You kind of get the impression that even though she's talking him up so much to Chris, she was never any better to Homer than she is to Chris. Probably not. That's all. I mean, if she were, would he have allowed himself to seem to have died? Mm -hmm. I think, I think he would have at least contacted her and said, Hey honey, I'm all right, but uh, I got to lay low for a couple of years. No, I think this was, he realized, he suddenly realized that this was his out. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And if he can keep tapping the current husband, maybe he can. Yeah. It's a, Oh yeah. It's yeah. So, uh, so, so Chris does the first smart thing we've seen him do. Yes. And that gets him out of that relationship. So now he can truly pursue his relationship with Kitty. So even though we see this little happy moment where Chris gets out from underneath this this horrible woman, 
we know that it bad things are coming. Well, and they <laughs> come within so... like sixty seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like, no there's no break. Yep. Oh, look at this happy moment and then uh scene changes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back like, to Depressionville. Uh, Great. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's Johnny. Yes. <laughs> Here's Johnny right again. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. So yeah, the, the complication in this it you know, looking at Johnny, he clearly has no conscience. He, oh, at no none. point does he even flinch or think maybe he's mistreating Kitty. At no point does he think maybe he shouldn't just be taking money out of her bag all the time. Oh, she, I, I think I think he he doesn't care. It's he it's just not that doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't care. He knows that he shouldn't. You know, that's not the thing you should be doing. I don't know. He strikes me as a youngest child that was never spanked. Like oh, he, stri- he strikes me as the youngest child of, you know, a family of six or something like that. And mom just doted on him and he could do no wrong. And if he took money out of his, you know, siblings bags or savings or piggy banks or whatever, mom would laugh it off and say, oh, be nice to your brother. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the, the life I imagine Johnny had before he grew up. I just imagine he had everything handed to him by an indulgent parent and he just is he it's 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 like he's genuinely got no conscience and and when the police bring him in asking about jewelry that he has on his person from a dead person mm-hmm. he says well she wasn't going to use it anymore right and, and and then he like realizes what he just said and he's like oh oh that implies I know she was dead. Oh, crap. You know, and, and genuinely, that's the moment where I'm like, he, like, I mean, through the whole thing, he never shows any indication of remorse or hesitation or consideration of maybe he shouldn't be pushing his girlfriend whom he likes to beat to steal money from this guy or to, to you know, calm this guy to get money from. Him. I think he just, it's like, it, it, it's like he's got no conscience at all. Mm-hmm. Genuinely. No, I agree. No, he, he no conscience and just doesn't care whether it's right or wrong. It's Mm-mm. just, it's a foreign concept to him. Yeah, right. Everything everything is owed to Johnny in Johnny's mind, and and Adele is remarkably the same. Everything is owed to Adele in Adele's mind. Right. Uh, well, that makes that attitude that he has makes Kitty the perfect woman for him because mm-hmm. uh, there's a uh, a line somewhere in the film where I think she's talking to uh, to no, she's talking to Johnny. She's talking about Chris, and she describes Chris looking at her so lovingly and everything, and it creeps her out. Creeps her out. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would rather him get mad and smack her across the face yep. than, than to look at her with any kind of affection. I had forgotten about that, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's that, it's, 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 that's dark and disturbing. Yeah. She is a messed up character. <laughs> yes. For sure. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, this, uh, I, I mentioned this, if there were any humor in this movie, it would be a comedy of errors. But there's no humor in this movie at all. There's, you know, you feel compassion for the characters and you want, you know, you connect with them, I think. Mm-hmm. I think even Kitty at points, you think she's not truly evil. She's not 
she, she's the, every, manipulated. Every, every moment. She is manipulative and she's manipulated by Johnny. Yes. It, and she, uh, but I, at no point do you think she it clicks for her and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take Chris for every penny I can get. She just is letting herself be dragged along. And even even at the point that she's mocking Chris to his face. And you lied to me, Kitty. It was him, wasn't it? Can I help it if I'm in love? No, just an infatuation. You, you couldn't love a man like that, Kitty. He's evil. He wouldn't let you alone, isn't that right? I wanted to kill him. Well, that's wrong. Why'd you come here? To ask you to marry me. What about your wife? I haven't any wife. That's finished. For God's sake, you husband don't... turned up. I'm free. <laughs> oh, now, don't cry, Kitty. I know how you feel, but that's all over now. We all make mistakes. I don't care what's happened. I, I can marry you now. I, I want you to be my wife. We, we'll go away together, way far off, so you can forget this other man. Don't cry, Kitty. Please don't cry. <laughs> I'm not crying, you fool. I'm laughing. Kitty. <laughs> oh, you idiot. How can a man be so dumb? Kitty. <laughs> in your face ever since I first met you. You're old and ugly and I'm sick of you. Sick, sick, sick. Kitty, for heaven's sake. You killed Johnny? I'd like to see you try. Why, he'd break every bone in your body. He's a man. You don't want to marry me? You? Get out of here. Get out. Even at that point, she's delusional and has this fantasy that Johnny is going to turn around and be a hero. Right. You know, she, I don't I don't read her as being evil, selfish. Yes. Lazy. Ironically, the his, Johnny's nickname for her lazy legs at first, I was like, that's a dumb nickname. But the more you watch it, the more you're like, yeah, she's just freaking lazy. That's yeah. actually the perfect nickname for her. She's just if she can get something without working. for It's, it, it's easy. It. It's easier to play people than to work. Yes, exactly. For her anyway. Yeah. So it's yeah, she's a. Uh, she is, it's funny, yeah, it, she's, she's not a complicated personality, but her interactions, her relationships with the people around her are complex. Yes. Yeah, I keep going back to the fact that we're so used to the films in the 1940s being a certain way. Mm-hmm. And this film just constantly surprised me um, yeah. every step because every character you're just expecting you you think you know the outcome for this character mm-hmm. and all that stuff is turned on its ear and it's almost they almost give you enough to think that that's where it's going to go mm-hmm. and then say nope and there goes the rug <laughs> out from underneath yep <laughs> that's exactly what i thought too yeah and then when it finally when things finally snap you you see it happening and you're going oh no this yeah. is where it's gonna this is where it's gonna really explode and mm-hmm. that's exactly where it finally explodes and mm-hmm. whew, yeah yeah this is a film i think unlike anything else we've watched it is uh, interestingly it's a lot like another film though <laughs> we get back to it <laughs> right the movie the woman in the window is weirdly similar 
but not the same. So you again have a, a character like Chris, but he's a happily married professor with a couple of kids and a wife that adores him. Like genuinely good, happy life. He ha- he's a member of a gentleman's club. He's a, you know, he's stand up, good guy in society. And he sees the portrait of this beautiful woman and his wife, his wife goes out of town at the beginning of the movie with the kids for the summer, you know, like people do in New York. They go to the Hamptons or whatever, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he sees this portrait of this woman, and then he sees her reflection overlaid in the glass, you know, in front of the portrait. And he turns, and it's her. And they strike up a conversation. She, they have a couple of drinks. She invites him back to her house. And while they're there, another man breaks in and attacks him in a fit of jealousy. And he grabs some scissors and stabs the man in self-defense and kills him. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it's the two of them working together, her and him trying to cover up this, this murder. And she's got a manipulative boyfriend also played by Dan Duria. Same Mm -hmm. guy. Uh, Johnny, right. And they're trying to blackmail him and it goes through this whole thing but the differences are, instead of being this just sad, lonely, sweet, poor, broke guy, he's like got a little bit more gumption and he's you know resourceful and he's intelligent. And instead of being uh, just kind of a, excuse the word, my our British listeners, but she's just a total, instead of being a total slag like, like Kitty is, uh, she's... You know, yeah, she still kind of is, but she also is genuinely horrified by the situation they're in. You know, she's not just letting herself be jerked along. And, you know, in it, it's interesting because it's a movie that I'm totally going to give it away. If you don't want to hear it, skip ahead 30 seconds. <laughs> he wakes up at the end and it's all a dream. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. so in Wouldn't this, have seen that coming. Yeah. In this movie, it's almost... And it, the bizarre part is that it's almost it's such similar storylines remarkably similar storylines almost identical cast same director it's almost like they looked at the first one they looked at woman in the window and went you know what it just doesn't quite zing you at the end we need to make it darker so let let's turn it into a nightmare let's make it scarlet <laughs> street yeah and it, it, it's it is it genuinely is bizarre how similarly how similar they are. I can't believe that the studios managed to put this these two movies out one after the other. I can't believe that they gr- greenlit them to be made one after the other. It's I, I mean yes, they're different, but they're so similar you would be excused for mistaking them for the same movie. They're it's all they're almost uh, even even the layout of the apartment that she's in at one point I was like is that the same set like it's got the sliding glass doors over the bedroom and, and they're so similar it was just it's just strange so um yeah this movie Scarlet Street but not the other one this movie is yeah it doesn't pull any punches it it is like the sadder grittier version of Woman in the Window and it feels like the intention was to make you go, oh, life sucks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nobody in this movie, not one person in this movie has a happy ending. Not even no. one, not even Adele. <laughs> yeah, well, 
We don't know about Adele. I mean, she, she has someone. She, miserable. she still has someone to boss around. That's so. true. That's true. But uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what a guy to get back, right? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> the last five minutes of this film is just the film, like looking at the audience and going, "So yeah, we went pretty dark, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> How it about, is. What about what about now? It's a little darker, isn't it? What what about now? <laughs> <laughs> and I genuinely like like there's a moment when when he when Chris gets on the train and you're like ah okay well fair enough and then uh, there's a moment a couple minutes later where you're like ah oh. ooh and then there's a moment a couple minutes later where you're like oh my gosh and then there's a minute it doesn't end like no. you think at one moment you actually think the movie has ended horribly and then it doesn't. They, they cut the rope and, you, and you're it like... It gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. And, and it's just... You're literally begging for the movie to be, to you be are, over. Yes. <laughs> it's, the, this movie, it's almost... It, what it felt like to me was that they ended it and the censors looked at it and said, you can't end it that way. It has to be worse for him. He can't get away with it. Right. It, oh, all, that's it a very good feels, point. It feels like the censor said, well, you know, you can't end it on the train because even though they're talking about it, you need to show some remorse. And then they were like, no, you can't end it that way. You can't end it, you know, with a suicide because, oh. Uh. Well, then they were like, no, you can't. You know, and they kept saying, like, it just feels like they keep adding, like, no, you, you have to make him suffer more. No, he hasn't suffered mm-hmm. enough. You have to make him suffer more. That's interesting. <laughs> That's a good point. I do wonder if that had something to do with it. Because, yeah, they can't have someone get away with murder. Yeah. Censors wouldn't have allowed that at the time. And there's a conversation that says, specifically, they say nobody really gets away with murder. And you feel like maybe that was intended to be the ending. And just to say, don't worry, you know, whoever, you know, whoever did this thing won't get away with it. You know, their, their conscience will get them in the end. But then the censors were like, nope, now nah, it's got to be, it's got to be worse than that. You can't just say it'll go that way. You have to show it right. that way. Like, oh man. Yeah. This movie. And it, and it ends and you're, and I realized he can't paint ever again. So nope, his one joy exactly. in life is take he, he has, everything he has given away and, and it's not his fault. He gave away his ability to paint for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he he lost everything that he had. And he, he lost the potential to rebuild his life by committing other crimes. And of course, now he's got this perpetual hag and her awful boyfriend in his head. Yes. Forever. And the streets feel tormenting him, him. tormenting him. And, and there, there's a moment, there's a moment, this is exactly what you're going to expect me to say. Listen closely. There's a moment in the Kiera Knightley Pride and Prejudice (laughs) 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 where, (laughs) where she's dancing with Mr. Darcy and all the other people in the room disappear. And it's this magical moment where it's like, oh, they're the only ones there. My dad loves that moment. In this movie, there's this magical moment where all the other people on the street disappear, and it's like he's alone being tormented. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's, uh, it, was, it was really effective, and I immediately thought, I wonder if that's where they got the idea for Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> Which also torments me. 
moving on. So. Yes. Yeah, this is a it's a it's a bleak ending. It's it a is. great story, but a bleak ending. The, it, it is. It's it's one of those movies that I would love to be able to tell people. God, that movie sucks. Don't watch it because the ending is so bleak. But I will say, he lives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. He does live. Does so. he? Does he though? Well, that is the question. I suppose that's what the censors want us to ask. So <laughs> it is though. You, bleak is the right word for it. And yes. and it's sad. It's sad because I still feel like yes, technically he does something quote wrong by paying attention to this young woman which I suppose is also probably part of the message that they want to give you. But I don't think he deserves it. I just no. don't feel like he deserves what happens to him. Any of it. I don't know what else to say. Um, I think we just rate <laughs> it and move on. Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> we, I think we do. Uh, and this is another one of those films where it's really hard for me to try to put a rating on it. It's... Obviously, it's it's incredibly well done. It's well directed. It's well acted. You know, the well the cast. story keeps you guessing from every scene. You have no idea what's going to be happening next. But it's still not a movie that's just like, oh, everyone needs to go and see this. Mm. If the standard is you have to go watch this this weekend, right? Where does it put this one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with a four. I think. Because there's, I, I don't know. I can't think of any reason to like rate it lower. I just don't want to rate it higher. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that makes perfect sense. Actually, I. I know. I have definitely rated movies that way before, <laughs> and, and that gives me a real conundrum because I feel like this movie does deserve a five, because with one caveat. That the, the possible censorship added ending is the only caveat to that. And if they had if they had toasted Chris in the end, I would not give it a five. But I think if you are looking at it from the perspective of I should, as a as a person who enjoys film, mm-hmm. the universal eye should watch a film noir at some point. Is this the film noir you watch? And I think it's a contender. Yeah, very now, possibly. Now it's not Algiers. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, see, and now I just said that out loud. There's, I, there's no happy song in the middle of this one. <laughs> yeah, and it's I, I. Oh man, I think part of part of the the reason the struggle with this movie is that you don't feel like everybody gets what they deserve, and that is a that is a, a cardinal rule of cinema. Everybody gets what they deserve, but I can't I can't rate it below a four and a half. Four and a half is is what I had initially thought. I'll go with four and a half. Okay. I won't moderate no, I... my rating based on your rating. I'll <laughs> say four and a half. It is an excellent film. Uh, yes. It is not a happy movie. It is not a happy film. But if you want to watch a movie with complex characters, if you're sick to death of the garbage they're putting out these days, and and you just want to watch something with complex characters, that's not a lifetime film. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I had to go there. I couldn't resist. Uh, <laughs> this is a really solid option. And if you yeah. want to watch this movie with a happy ending, 
watch the woman in the window. There you go. There you go. There's your solution. <laughs> Which I would not rate four and a half stars, but I, you know, or Othels, I'm sorry. But, uh, right. you know, if, if you just want to watch the happier version, there is another one out there. You can go find it very easily. Yeah, very good. <laughs> well, then I think that will do it for this episode. It This has been a an interesting one. <laughs> it, it, it's, this is the movie that coins the word interesting. It's yes. Just, it is interesting. It's it's you can't dislike it because it is well made, but oh, yeah, you can't like it because it's just freaking sad. It's so sad. <laughs> it's sad for everyone involved. Yes. Well, thank you everybody for listening to this one. Obviously, if you've watched this film, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So please uh, give us a writing or give us a writing. So please uh, send an email. Or uh, come on the Facebook and uh, leave a message there. We'd really appreciate it. I guess that'll do it. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to go paint a picture now. (laughs) 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 No. (laughs) We'll talk to you guys next month. And uh, thanks again for listening. Yep. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye.